Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. But <laughs> yeah, let's go. Blow up. My friends, it is time for Power to the Pod. This is your show. I'm only here to steer the wheel. Welcome to Locked On Dolphins. Power to the Pod every Tuesday in which I hand the show over to each and every one of you to talk about what you want to hear about regarding your Miami Dolphins. We are coming off the heels of the 2020 NFL Draft and... It's a good time, great time, to be a Miami Dolphins fan. Uh, I hope I properly relayed my excitement, not necessarily for like player X or player Y, because that's a lot of the questions today are about player, specific players in the NFL draft class for the Miami Dolphins, and, and we're going to get into them. We're going to talk about their pros and cons, but individually, uh, the, the sum of this class as a whole is what has me so excited to see where this team is able to go what this team is able to do with this cohesive vision for what a team is supposed to look like. It's really cool to see the plan materialize the way that I hypothesized that maybe it would with the offense, the downhill running attack, RPO heavy system, which was confirmed by uh, Albert Breer yesterday talking about uh, NFL coach who's familiar with Brian Flores, seeing the trend that he's made towards RPO style and then taking Tua and putting him in that situation. Like, let's go. I'm so stoked. But before we get into your questions, uh, we do have a little bit of housekeeping to get into. Uh, the Dolphins were granted a uh, roster exemption for one of their players. So the Dolphins now have the opportunity to roster 91 players. Uh, the typical offseason roster is 90. This comes courtesy of Derval Nito uh, from Brazil. He was the uh, Brazilian International Pathway Program practice squad player for the Dolphins last year. They got an extra spot on the practice squad to have Derval on the roster. Well, he's still on the 90, man, and now the Dolphins have a roster exemption. So they are able to roster 91 instead of 90 players, and the Dolphins roster is at 89 as of this morning. There's been some transactions. The team signed uh, Kayvon Frazier, Dallas Cowboys special teams Dynamo, who uh, played a ton of special teams for Dallas between the years of 2016 and 2018. He only he played less than 100 snaps last year. He had a pectoral injury and missed the back three quarters of the season. So... We're still moving and shaking. Again, I would not expect to see the Miami Dolphins bring on any splash players, despite the spot the, the fact that they have two open vacancies on their roster right now. Uh, I just don't think they have the cap. The way they structured their cap spending in free agency seems to indicate, plus either the acquisition of Matt Breida, who's $3.5 million because he had a restricted free agent tender this year. And the, the 2020 NFL draft class, which is 11 players in size, is going to be significant amount of Miami's $20 million in remaining cap. So, yes, they have two roster spots. Let's not expect them to make big splashes with it. Don't think we'll see them trade one of their ones next year for Yannick and Gakwe or anything crazy like that. Don't think you'll see them make a play for Joe Dooney. That's fine. Now, let's 
let's take advantage of this is a long-term build. Let's, again, kind of like how the Dolphins tackled the 2020 draft, maintain our assets, our key assets. We can wheel and deal a little bit if they get an opportunity to get a young guy who a team is ready to move on from and you could ship him for a five. Sure, let's do some business. Let's figure something out. The other notable storyline I wanted to touch on before we get into fan questions, a report from Barry Jackson of the Miami Herald came out this morning, and it answers or addresses one of the primary questions for the Miami Dolphins coming out of the 2020 NFL Draft, which is how are they going to construct their offensive line? Robert Hunt from Louisiana is the key variable. We know Austin Jackson, who played left tackle at USC. He's going to play left tackle for the Miami Dolphins sooner rather than later. But Robert Hunt, most draft analysts and draft Knicks seem to feel more comfortable with Robert Hunt playing inside at offensive guard. I am among them. If you're not familiar, I'm a senior NFL draft analyst for the draftnetwork.com, so I do 300 player reports every single year. Robert Hunt, one of my top 100 players, scheme-specific fit. He went into a scheme that's going to fit that, so I'm excited about his ceiling. But I do think he's better off, better suited for guard. Uh, Barry Jackson, Miami Herald, this morning, sending out a report that the Dolphins would like to at least try Hunt at right tackle before kicking him inside the guard. We're told the Dolphins at least want to give Hunt a chance at right tackle, wrote Jackson. The plan, subject to change, obviously, is to allow Hunt and Jesse Davis to compete at right tackle and decide which player is better suited to tackle and which player is better suited for guard. This kind of mirrors what we would have liked to have seen in the pre-draft when we talked about double-dipping on offensive tackles, which I came on to late in the process. Really embrace that idea. And if that happens to be the case, and you play Robert Hunt at right tackle and he performs well enough to command that starting job, then great. Then the Dolphins get their bookend offensive tackles in the same NFL draft class and you allow them to grow and develop together. But I do think it's interesting that the Dolphins have so many players on the offensive line that have positional flexibility, right? You think about Michael Dieter played tackle, guard, and center at Wisconsin. 10-plus starts at each position. Jesse Davis, left tackle, right tackle, right guard. He's played them all. Robert Hunt, right guard, right tackle. He's capable of playing them both. Ceiling's probably higher at guard, but you give the guy the chance to fail outside and work your way in, which is the exact career pathway that Eric Flowers took on the left side. Drafted as a top 10 overall pick by the New York Giants, failed outside at offense tackle, moved inside to guard, suddenly has a nice little career revival going on. We just went through Dieter, Davis, Hunt, Flowers. Four guys on the offensive line have position flexibility and experience playing multiple positions. It's a good problem to have. Let's find the best combo of five and put them on the field. And let's strap it up. I do have one iTunes review question this week. A little light on the reviews. That's okay. I'm not judging you guys. Power to the pod time. Question comes from Johnson at AOL. Do you think UDFA Kirk Merritt has a chance to make the team and contribute similarly to Preston Williams last season? It's a good question. Lots of UDFA questions, and I think Dolphins fans, you probably got a little bit spoiled 
with, with UDFAs based on what Miami saw from Nick Needham and Preston Williams last year. Like, not every UDFA class is going to jump out at you. As far as Kirk Merritt, he's got a tough, tough path to the 50 or the, the active roster, to be completely honest, just because Miami has given out extensions to guys like Jakeem Grant and, Preston, or, and, and Alan Hearns and Preston Williams bouncing back and Devontae Parker, and we need to figure out what's going on with Albert Wilson, if they're going to restructure him and ex- or extend him and stretch that money out. It seems like they want to keep Albert. And it makes sense, not, seeing Miami not swing at all on wide receivers, um, they may need to keep Albert. Now, to be honest with you, unless you find a more attractive option, a cheap option, and then you got like Mac, high high ceiling guys like Gary Jennings and Mac Collins, who are straight line burners, can get down the field, uh, bigger bodies, vertical component. Jer- Jennings worked a lot out of the slot at West Virginia. I would not be surprised to see Gary Jennings make a play for this roster too. So, and Jennings was a fourth round pick last year. So I would put Jennings and Mac Hollins, who has special teams upside, uh, significantly ahead of Kirk Merritt as far as opportunities to make the roster. Um, and, and depending on what Preston Williams' recovery timeline looks like, uh, maybe sneaks on that. Like, I didn't even mention Isaiah Ford, and the Dolphins seem to like Isaiah Ford and, and kept him around last year and, and let him linger on the roster. So difficult to see a path for Kirk Merritt. I do have someone that I think will make the roster, but we're going to get into that when we get into um, the specific questions on that topic. Uh, Max McDermott with a question, courtesy of Twitter. Knowing Wilson won't be here in 2021, why not trade him for minimal 2021 assets, then use the cap to extend one to two mid-level assets via heavy front-end restructuring? (sighs) Seeing Miami sit on their hands and not address the wide receiver position uh, has me feeling like Wilson's role will be there for him in Miami. You think about if they are going to go RPO style. Uh, I know Changeli has traditionally liked bigger bodies, but you need complementary skill sets. You can't have all the same thing. You can't be a pitcher that only has one pitch at one speed. You know, you have to have guys that short area agility and we have that in Jakeem Grant but Jakeem spent the last two years and the end of the season in the last two years on IR so yeah he's an expiring contract what do you get for an expiring contract who has a lingering hip issue uh, and is due nine and a half million dollars in base salary now, you probably wouldn't get anything for him that's why I don't think this theory works, Max. Is and other NFL teams are going to say, "Where well, you want me to trade for a close to thirty-year-old who doesn't have his juice because of a significant hip injury in a contract year, and we have to pay him nine and a half million dollars?" No, thanks. We'll go pluck somebody off the street. I think that's that's the biggest barrier for this idea. Which I like your thought process as far as extending guys, getting guys on more long term contracts, taking advantage of the cap. But they're going to have the flexibility to get it done. Uh, Taylor ceiling and floor for Austin Jackson. I want to like this pick more. Um, well, let me tell you this: if you're going to expect Austin Jackson to come in and play lights out early on in his pro career you're probably going to be disappointed because he is very raw. But with that said, 
He's a big body. He moves well. He's got prototypical length at his disposal. I compared him to Taylor Moton, who's at Carolina. He's physical, 322 pounds, 34-inch arms. Uh, I want to read you guys a little bit of the scouting report that I wrote on Austin Jackson. Had an early three on him. Uh, his best trait was his functional athleticism. His worst trait was his technique. His worst film was Iowa, so of course Bills fans are going to give us a whole lot of trouble because A.J. Epinesa whooped them for three sacks. Jackson is a promising offensive tackle prospect who has all the physical tools to develop into a quality starter, but there's significant improvement needed in the fundamentals before he's ready to fill such a role. Jackson's footwork, hand placement, weight distribution, and framing of blocks are all currently inconsistent, and early reps are likely to yield irregular and inconsistent results. Jackson is best, likely best in zone-heavy rushing offense where his mobility can, can win spacing at the point of attack. He will be fine with his power at the point of attack playing in this offense. When he gets onto bodies, he's very good. And typically when you're looking for zone blockers, guys who have the mobility to steer and ride out shine, but he has plenty of pop, plenty of power. I talk about his, about his power at the point of attack. When he's firing off the line of scrimmage, he's got a ton of power, and when he's landing square, he will blow you away. Applies his power on down blocks, chip blocks, combo blocks, and more effective to derail gap shooters. Loads of lower body and hand power at his disposal if he can tighten up his technique. Fits the mole. You get into pass sets, you, that's where you start to see some of the issues. Angular releases out of his stance are a work in progress. He's come too flat or not taking enough depth and misset has to adjust his feet, causing compromise based in leaning into rushers. Mobility and athleticism is there for improved drive and his foot speed is quality to flip and carry when he's forced to run past the peak of the pocket. He's got the physical tools. He fits the mold. I counted to Taylor Moton, who is a quality starter in Carolina. Granted, it's on the right side. Jackson will be fine. And if he's not fine, okay, then he's going to take the Eric Flowers route, and we're probably going to kick him inside the guard long term, or somebody else will take on, take him on and kick him inside the guard. I feel good about the fit, and I feel good about the coaching staff showing that they can coach technique into players. Marcos also wanted to know about Austin Jackson. Would you have rather traded up for one of Worf's Wills or Becton? I mean, yeah. Felt more comfortable with those guys as plug-and-play starters. Um, the challenge was for Miami. The cost to get there would have prevented you from double-dipping and getting two stars. And Robert Hunt, I really liked. Uh, I, I, again, like him in, in the fit that we're going to put him in here. So if you told me I could get two or I could get one slam dunk, who may or may not end up being a slam dunk because you never know with the NFL draft process, I'll take the volume. And that's the process the Dolphins chose to attack. And that goes back to me pre-draft just saying, please just keep your early picks. Take the volume approach because in the long run, that's how you will flesh out this roster more effectively instead of putting all your eggs in one basket. This offensive line wasn't one piece away anyway. Morgan, is the heavy investment in the interior offensive line via draft an indictment of Dieter, or do you just really think it's finally emphasizing the line? I think it's both. 
Uh, I think in a perfect world, Michael Dieter plays much better than he played last year. But if we're being realistic, Michael Dieter was playing in between a extremely soft anchor in Daniel Kilgore at center and a revolving door at left tackle. Dieter should have been the weakest point on that line, and he was ended up being the most stable factor. And that's a bad recipe to put a rookie in. So I'll be interested to see where Miami elects to push Dieter first. You're not going to beat out Eric Flowers when you're paying him $10 million a year. So Flowers will be their left, left guard. Dieter does not have the length to play outside a tackle. Ted Karras is on a one-year deal. That'd be the first place I'd put Michael Dieter is I'd try and play him at center. He's got double-digit starts at center at Wisconsin. I'd give him the first crack there. Say, all right, you want to win a starting job? You know, the right side of the line, we're going to have Robert Hunt, Jesse Davis competing with one another. You, Ted Karras, mano y mano, let's go. Dolphins, Argentina. Most picks seem to be low floor, high ceiling. I know they could coach the hell out of some kids, but systemically is systemically taking this risk Systemically taking this risk worries me a bit. Thoughts on this take? It's ironic because Chris grew beforehand. People were concerned that he was a doubles and si- singles and doubles guy. Didn't swing for the fences. The Minka Fitzpatrick's, the Laramie Tunsils, Christian Wilkins. That was the perception. But I think if you go back and you look at some of the picks that they have make, even the selection of like Mike Isecki. That was a swing for the fence. This team could have had Dallas Goddard that year, who was my top-rated tight end. And I didn't love them going with Gasecki because there was more high variance involved. And I absolutely agree that, that there is some lower floor, higher ceiling selections here for the Dolphins. And I felt Gasecki was the same thing. And you saw the floor in 20, uh, 2018 with Adam Gase. You started to see the ceiling this past year. Every pick to a certain degree worries you because it's not a sure thing. That's why I was such a fan of the Matt Breida thing. We've at least, Breida's got some durability questions of his own, but at least Breida's played at the NFL and has played at a high level when he's been on the field and he's had three straight seasons with over 100 touches versus a fifth-round pick, what are you going to get? So, yeah, I it's a risk. This whole thing's a risk, but that's why the volume component of it was important, and you saw the growth in Devontae Parker and Mike Gusecki and Preston Williams and Nick Needham. What they were able to bring out of Eric Rowe, Vince Beagle, Christian Wilkins from the start of the year to the end of the year. Steady improvement in a lot of spots. If you get steady improvement over the course of a long period of time, these guys are going to be just fine. Jimbo, you monster. No, this is way too early, but which wide receiver and running back would you like the Dolphins to target next year? Uh, let's all say it together. Wide receiver, Jalen Waddell, Alabama. That's the play. That's the pick. That has to be the pick. The chemistry that he had with Tua was excellent. Waddell is one of the fastest college football players I have ever seen in my entire life. He is electric. Obviously a perfect scheme fit because he comes from the same college offense. Waddle's the guy that I've got pegged early. If you swing over to thedraftnetwork.com, shameless plug, we have our 2020 NFL mock draft simulator has flipped over to 2021. We had it flipped over on Saturday afternoon. Dolphins, uh, courtesy of the Vegas odds, have 8th and ninth picks. 
So I'll just say that, thedraftnetwork.com. It's the mock draft machine. And I'll let you guys cook up some combinations because I like Travis Etienne at running back too. It's a really good year for backs. Najee Harris from Alabama, again, makes sense. He'd probably be an early two guy for me. ETN's a blazer if they want speed. And ETN, by the way, uh, his contact balance, his ability to play off of, of lower body hits is some of the best in the class. And he ran stride for stride with Isaiah Simmons, who ran like 4-4 flat at 235 pounds. So fast contact balance, blazing speed. Was a surprise he went back to school this past year. The top names. If I'm the Dolphins, I want the top names at skill positions because I want to build the cream of the crop around Tua. Uh, Tim, weakest three positions on the team post-free agency in the NFL draft. I think nose tackle is a position of concern. I think free safety is a position that's unsettled long-term. And ironically enough, this is a testament to, to how far this roster has come in a very short amount of time. Uh, at the end of the season, wide receiver was probably our deepest group on the roster. I would now venture to say it's one of the five worst groups, maybe the third worst group. You got Devontae, but outside of that, Preston Williams has a knee injury. And he was a UDFA. Let's not put the cart before the horse here. We got to make sure... Preston continues to develop, and that's don't assume that because not every player's development is, is linear, and not every player's development goes up. Let's not count that chicken before it's hatched. Very promising early returns, but he's going to have to bounce back from the injury. Outside of that, Alan Hearns is your slot. Albert Wilson's probably not going to be a part of the long-term picture, and even he has durability issues. Jakeem Grant has durability issues. So, like, you're going to have a chance for the Gary Jennings and Matt Collinses of the world to step up. And if they do, that's perfect. That will help alleviate that stress. But right now, I would say, you know, if you're building around a young quarterback, you need a better group than what we have there right now. Sintras, uh, with the additional the additions of Igbahogany and Brandon Jones, do you think Bobby McCain is a 2021 offseason casualty? Drafted two strong slot guys. I... I think Bobby's going to be the free safety until they find a better option or unless Bobby knocks it out of the park. Brandon Jones is a little bit more of a, a pure safety versus a, a slot corner like Igbahogany. I think Igbahogany is going to be your nickel. I think he's going to wrestle that role away, and I think he's going to smother it. He's going to not cough that up. And that's super exciting for Miami. Because you've already got the big cash advances out of the way for Xavier Howard. You've got the cash advances for Byron Jones right now. And then in a couple years, Igbahogany's turn will come. And Miami can kind of churn and not have to pay premier corner cash at the same time for more than one corner. I like it. Uh, Aiden, Madden overalls of the all players drafted in the first five rounds for the Dolphins. Uh, I will tell you this. I just downloaded a custom roster for Madden that has the Dolphins draft class in it, and I will be RPOing each and every one of you to death with Tua, and I cannot wait. 
It's going to be fun. Uh, Kevin, this is the question I knew was coming. Which UDFA signing are you most excited about? It's a much thinner class, but if I had to point to one, I would point to Benito Jones, defensive tackle from Mississippi. He's a fun little bowling ball of a player. He's a true nose tackle. He's the closest thing to a true nose tackle the Dolphins have on the roster. I think Raekwon Davis will spend plenty of time in the middle, especially in the nickel. Christian Wilkins is fully capable of playing in the middle, especially in the nickel. But if you're going base, you need a space-eating plug. And putting Christian Wilkins or Devon Godchow or Raekwon Davis in that role removes their appeal as athletes. Benito Jones is that dude that you can put in the A-gap. He'll eat a double team and allow Raekwon McMillan to fly down uncontested into the gap and blow up running backs. If you had to ask me who the one player that was a UDFA for the Dolphins was that makes the roster, I would say Benito Jones because he has a skill set that the rest of the Dolphins' interior defensive linemen do not possess and that he's a, a true space eater. That would be my best guess. Uh, Mike ben, Beninzo. I know the majority of analysts didn't have Raekwon Davis that high on their boards. That being said, why do you feel like we took him so high, and why was Flores so excited to land him? Uh, is he better fit than Gallimore, Elliott, and Matabuike? Uh, Matabuike was my top of that group, but that said, Matabuike's best fit, in my opinion, was as a true uh, three technique in an even front with more gap penetration tendencies than what we will probably see from the Dolphins in their interior offensive linemen. Matabuike, for me, I had an early second round grade on. Uh, he was a top 32 player for me on my individual board. But again, scheme fit. I wasn't super comfortable with that scheme fit for Miami. It didn't make as much sense. Raekwon Davis, actually was my next highest rated of those of the group that you mentioned, Mike, uh, my 42nd rated player in this year's NFL draft. Here's what I had to say about Raekwon. Raekwon Davis is a promising prospect, but one whose development at Alabama has become stagnant over his final two seasons. His best projection in the NFL would be featured as a penetration five technique in odd fronts where he can press the B-gap and avoid being tasked with two-gapping and reading and keying blocks at the point of attack. So from Miami's perspective, he will be asked to do the two-gapping and reading and keying that he was asked to do at Alabama. Will that make the most of his physical upside? No. But if you told me Miami needed to go even fronts and get a NASCAR package on the field, and you put Wilkins' head up over the center, and you got Shaq Lawson slash Emmanuel Agba, and you needed another interior defender who's going to get out of the blocks, I would rather have Raekwon Davis filling that role than Devon Godshell. Devon Godshell at the pro level has been an extremely reliable player, gap control, run defender. His ceiling as a pass rusher is not that of Raekwon Davis. Raekwon has not had the opportunity to fulfill that role because he hasn't been asked to at Alabama. I will say this about Raekwon and what I wrote about his versatility on the scouting report that I put together for him. Uh, potential to play three technique or five technique or as a base end, although his ceiling is much higher in a penetration role than it is to hold the line. 
would be much less valuable in two-gapping teams than he would be to teams who can capitalize on his first step. I think that's the key for Raekwon, is he is another variable that can do both. He's been asked to do the two-gapping in Alabama, but you look at his physical skill set, and he can get out of the blocks. He can penetrate gaps. And I love Devon Godshall, but his ceiling in that capacity is not to the degree of which we get with Raekwon Davis. So I think that is the key to the excitement for Raekwon is as Miami rotates linemen based on game-specific situations, this was a piece that will allow them to not compromise their alignments, but will get more juice and more pressure versus what you can get with Devon. Biggest frustration from the draft. Saints taking Cesar Ruiz, two picks before us. Ravens taking J.K. Dobbins, one pick before us. Jets taking Ashton Davis, two picks before us. Kevin says, mine is number three. I hate the Jets. I also hate the Jets. We have a lot in common, Kevin. We love the Dolphins. We hate the Jets. Man, I would have really liked to have gotten Cesar Ruiz, but that would have pigeonholed you at... Uh, guard. You'd be playing guard, no questions asked. At least Robert Hunt gives you a little bit of flexibility for guard tackle. J.K. Dobbins, I am not going to hate on that decision because the team did not panic and ended up bringing Matt Breida for a five, and it allowed them to get a key, flexible, scheme-flexible player in Raquan Davis. Give me Ashton Davis. Jets. I agree with you, Kevin. Uh, you guys brought a ton of heat today. I might have to bring some more back into the fray here. Mike wants me to follow the account. Mike, maybe. Like your your two a goat picture. Uh, pro comparison for Curtis Weaver. That's a good one. I want to get sneak a couple more of these in. I mean, you guys brought seventy questions this week, so I, I'm sorry for not getting them all. I'm going to do my best to touch on some of these topics throughout the course of the week. Uh, my comp for Curtis Weaver was actually Derek Barnett, who was top 20 pick for the Philadelphia Eagles a couple years ago. Kind of similar build, similar production, similar win style. Uh, obviously, Derek Barnett did it at Tennessee and did it over four years. Curtis Weaver did it at Boise State and did it over three years. Uh, the concerns with Barnett, why, or the concerns with Weaver, why did Weaver slide? A little bit of body composition. Uh, I know there's some people that think he's a little bit of a tweener. He doesn't have prototypical length and apparently there's some medical stuff with him that also contributed the teams didn't get the answers to to feel comfortable with it so a little bit of a couple things that involve Curtis Weaver slide but mine's Derek Barnett uh, if you ask me where he he wins and how he wins Barnett's been a pretty respectable rotational pass rusher he's still coming into the the early portions of his own career uh Jimmy Asala I know Chris Greer and Brian Flores will never admit it, but do you think any of the players Miami drafted were considered a reach? No. It might not have been their primary target, but I don't think they considered it a reach. Like, even Noah Igbahogany, people are going to sit back and say, oh, my God, they needed offensive linemen and running backs, and they drafted their fifth corner, and he wasn't going to go in the first round. Well, he was Miami's top player on the board. Miami wouldn't have picked there. And you saw that with Miami kind of buying themselves some time their reaction to pick 26 seemed to strike me as something of, you know, maybe Cesar Ruiz got plucked in front of them and that was their primary target. But 
you know, they, they got moved back to 30. They moved back two spots. Isaiah Wilson went the pick before them to Tennessee, which is another possible pluck for Miami of somebody that they could have been targeting. And then uh, they draft Noah, and their response to the Noah pick was he was our top player on the board. No questions asked. So, no, I don't think they reached on anybody, uh, but it, they probably got through the um, the draft with a number of opportunities where they ideally would have liked to have seen somebody else available. Uh, all in all fins podcast here for helping people. Any advice to someone starting a dolphins related podcast, be thorough. Don't have knee jerk reactions that are outrageous and have fun. Well, this, this is a fun time to be a dolphins fan. So making sure that you relay, uh, the excitement that people should have uh, will definitely make it a more enjoyable experience for you and make it more enjoyable for people to listen to, in my opinion. Uh, Zach Green is here to see the world burn. If Deshaun Watson goes down next year and we luck into the number one pick, what do we do? <laughs> do you take Trevor Lawrence or trade Tua and trade? Take Trevor Lawrence and trade Tua or trade the pick? Man. Depends on how good Tua looks this, this summer and this fall, right? If you get Tua in the building and you feel good about it. <sighs> the smart thing to probably say at this point would to be take Trevor Lawrence, have a quarterback competition, and then trade the loser. Because that way you extend your window and you buy yourself more time to make a decision on his Tua's durability concern that you don't feel comfortable with or whatever. Um, I would probably lean towards trading the pick because you, you should be able to get a monster haul for one. If you somehow got one and you don't need a quarterback, you should be able to get, you know, think what we got from Minka and Tunsil combined, and you should be able to get more than that. It's going to do it for us today. You've gotten ample more questions uh, that I am going to structure some of the rest of the uh, the week, some of the conversation points around these, and build out from some of your questions full podcasts, and look forward to going in depth with some of those. Uh, also, swing over to USA Today's Dolphins Wire. If you had questions that weren't answered, odds are I might be hitting on a few of them over at Dolphins Wire for conversation points as well. Uh, really thank you guys for carving time out of your day listening to Locked On Dolphins. Uh, I'm having so much fun with the podcast and really enjoy everybody's feedback engaging with you guys, talking about the Dolphins, talking about where this team is going, why we should be excited, why it's different this time from the regime changes in the past. You get the warm and fuzzies, get all excited thinking about it. Kyle Krabs signing off. Come on back tomorrow. We've got a good rest of the week lined up. we got three more shows this week. Looking forward to breaking down some more of this 2020 NFL Dolphins class.